Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Manufacturing in upstate New York, Golden Acrylics, Williamsburg Oils, and more recently, Core Watercolors. An employee-owned company committed to producing the highest quality materials while maintaining a culture of stewardship and community involvement. I've been using Golden for over 20 years, and I swear by it. For more information about Golden Artist Colors, visit them online at goldenpaints.com. Regine Murphy is an artist and musician based out of California. Her musical project, Regine, is a collaboration of her and Doug Stewart. Regine is an accomplished DJ, session and live player in Oakland's diverse music scene and is one of Indy's most in-demand percussionists who plays with Poolside, Toro y Moi, and U.S. Girls. Regine spends time touring the world playing music and also makes paintings, murals, and artwork for music gig posters, beer cans, and other public art. Her latest release, Moody, recently came out on Ghostly Records, which signed her project recently. I spoke with Brigine about her growing up in the musical family, her love for making art, how she became a Latin percussion roster artist, what she misses about playing live, and much more. Here's our conversation. You ready? <laughs> so this studio, so is it far from where you are? Uh... It's a room away. Oh, really? Oh, it's so a room you're... away. So we're we're visiting um, my partner's father in Arizona okay. right now, and so we just brought our makeshift everything. We kind of have a studio on the go, nice. so we brought the the basses and the congas and the bongos and the interfaces and yeah, just, yeah, that's yeah, cool. Rolled so up. you're pretty pretty mobile, right? Because I th- I've seen um, a video of you guys performing. And it's just, or just practice. I don't know. And it seems like a pretty tight kind of gear setup. It's not too crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Still a lot of percussion, for sure. Like yeah. the load-in. The first show we did, we had the Rhodes and Congas. And, the Rhodes and weighs a ton. Dude, it was so <laughs> heavy. It was so heavy. That th- those things are no joke. I was in a Latin jazz band. I mean, if you want to call it. It was kind of like a faux Latin jazz band when I was in grad school. And uh, the one guy in the band played Rhodes. And it made loading and in and out just crazy. Oh, man. But nothing sounds like that Rhodes. Yeah. Yeah. So they say until you get a Nord and you're like, oh, sick. Oh, is loading is so easy. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> and it mocks it mocks the sound, so I don't know. Are you a uh, a sort of analog file that I like, can can you pick up on those differences? Honestly, I can't, I think with enough effects, I think it's really hard to tell the difference. But that could yeah. be my ear. I'm sure if I if I spoke that to somebody else, they they'd have a lot to say about that. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, no, I can't tell. Well, um, so I'm really excited to talk to you because, and I, I usually, I talk to people sometimes that I've followed their work for decades, you know, and, and artists that I really admire. 
but I think when I when there's music that I really love, I I kind of fan out more to the audio than I do anything else. So I've been listening to your stuff for like weeks straight. I think I'm driving my son crazy because every time he's in the car, <laughs> it's just your stuff on, and I think he's starting to, you know, he's been bringing his beats with the noise cancellation on just so. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's it's over and over again. But I've been really into the music, so I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you. And like when I first heard your stuff, which was not too too long ago, um, and looking into the your music, and then you're making artwork too. So it's you're the perfect blend for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Sound um, vision. Yeah, I I love it. I. Actually, was listening to your podcast when making those congas recently. Oh, really? The, um, the painted yeah. ones. Yeah. Those are so cool. Thanks. It was such a special project. Um, such an honor to paint drums from the the congas like I grew up playing. Yeah. Um, unreal. So that was. So super that fun. wasn't self-driven. Like that was a project specifically, or how did that come about? Yeah, um, I well, when I started touring more regularly with Poolside and Toroi Moi, yeah. um, I I reached out and had had a friend um, reach out to LP and ask if they might be interested in sponsoring me for some of these festival shows and the tours, and it would mean so much. And and they were super down and so supportive. And when um, Jerry, the LP rep, found out that I also do visual art, he was like, hey, we have these untreated congas. Would you like to paint them? I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) I would love to. That would be such an honor. So it was really special. And I posted up at my mom's house and um, just set up a makeshift studio in her front yard and painted for like a week straight and um had some of the characters were uh my like honorary aunts and uncles who were all my dad's besties who lived with us on and off um growing up who were musicians as well um yeah. I painted them into the drums and yeah it was special well, so let yeah it's it's really cool let's get to the bottom of the whole merging of music and art like how did it start so growing up was your dad a musician right yeah yeah, so he was, was a percussionist also. So it's always around, like since you were tiny. Totally, yeah. And you just sort of soaked it in. And was what about art? Were you like drawing as a kid? Like when did that sort of enter the? the, the I was, uh, I, I was definitely drawing. Um, probably like holiday cards. Um, and, uh, I was obsessed with pigs as a kid, so I'd draw a lot of pigs. Um, it was a thing. Uh, yeah. And, um, then eventually, like fast forward to, uh, playing in clubs, I started doing flyers and then I had a weekly jazz night, um, at this place, the Starline Social Club in Oakland and would have like a rotating cast um, and every week I'd do a flyer. And from there I started getting just like work from it. And people like, oh, you you make art, you do this. And I was like, oh, I I guess I do. 
I guess I can. So I just like start kept doing it, and I and I really I loved I loved drawing um, like celebratory spaces and things involving music and um, people. Yeah, just celebrating in public space and a diverse group of people and like just kind of like um, echoes of of life in the clubs. Yeah. Well, yeah. do you think so? What about the aesthetic, though? Because it seems like you're drawn to to make images of these spaces and these things that you're socially engaging with. Right. So. But what about the look of what you do? Is it intuitive or were you looking at a lot of people specifically or how did you arrive at that? Um, I think it's I think it's intuitive. I think my background in and what has influenced me is definitely cartoons growing up. Yeah. Um, Daria for sure. Right, right. Um uh, the Beatles Yellow Submarine was on VHS repeat um, yeah, yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle um, like I I loved those styles and then I in um, like er, like my teens 19, 20 I got into um, Emery Douglas's work who did a lot of work with the Black Panthers um, I was going to bring him up because yeah. I, honestly, I was looking at your work, and especially in light of what's been going on recently, and thinking of Emory Douglas. And I thought a little of John Wesley, who's like a hero of mine. I love John Wesley's work. And I, I just, I feel like, I mean, I grew up on Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, and Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff like Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny and Chuck Jones was like a hero, you know. And that aesthetic, I think, really informs a lot of what I still do today. Because it meant so much to me as a kid. And, you know, when you're a kid, you, you see things and I feel like it tattoos your visual memory or like the way that you want to see the world. And you either push against it or embrace it. And those cartoons still, I mean, to this day, and Andy Warhol was big because I'm from Pittsburgh. So those things kind of align. And, um, and I was thinking and looking at your work, I thought like John Wesley and some of that sort of pop, cartoony, quirky but then at the same time, that Emery Douglas and, and some of that kind of work, it's funny that you brought him up. I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. And um, John Wesley, I didn't know about until a couple years ago because I never studied art. I never, yeah. um, I didn't take an art class in college. I took an art, ca- art class in high school and got so intimidated and like really... Um, distanced myself from it because I I just felt inferior and and um uninvited into the space I just got overwhelmed um and so anyway but recently I I I a friend of mine was like man your style is like so influenced by this person how could you not know them and I looked it up, and my mind was just blown. Isn't that crazy? Amazing. When you see something, Amazing. you have no idea that that person's out there doing it, and you look. It yeah. Up. But I, I think it's a triangulation of of certain style. I mean, obviously, John Wesley's into comics, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like Dagwood and Bumstead, you know, like that's like kind of stuff. And uh, you know, you, you maybe there were some things that were informing your aesthetic that were similar to his in a way for sure sometimes you can miss that happens all the time with music right when you're like totally the band that i played in i remember someone wrote a review 
of the guitar playing in in it, and it was um, oh god, what was the name of the band? I'm not even going to remember. It was um, oh, Darudi Column was the name of the band, and they said this guitar player is so into Darudi Column, like it, he's just taking like licks from that band, and I had never heard the band <laughs> the band before. You know what I mean? But I think sometimes that happens to where you can just you know, you get into the groove of things that are based off some influences and then someone else just happened to be doing something right in that wheelhouse and sometimes it's like decades before. It's kind of like upsetting, slightly upsetting in a way, but then it's also really comforting because you're like, yeah, we're on the same wavelength, you know what I mean? Totally. Do you get that in your music too to where you're, I mean, I imagine you've heard pretty much, I mean, you grew up with music so it's not like you're stumbling into things, but, you know. Yeah. Does that same phenomenon happen? Like you're like one day listening to Roy Ayers or something, something it comes on and you're like, wait a minute. You know, like <laughs> this this sounds right. I have those bells. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Um but I I was just thinking, did you end up liking that band? No, I didn't. I didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I, I saw the the sort of maybe it was the sonic tone of the guitar and some of the like repetitive, you know, kind of mathy qualities to it. Uh-huh. But I was totally into math rock, so it came out of that. But some of that probably came from, yeah, you know, for sure. There's artists that people bring up in relation to my work that you know that I I don't really strictly uh, am into their work, but I could see the connection in a way. Totally. I'm sure yeah. you get that sometimes with your music, right? Someone's like, oh, they've been listening to blah, blah, blah. And you're like, mm, not so much. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of it right now, but I'm sure. Um, well, I guess when we put out the first EP, which was a year ago, um, the first music as Brigine, yeah, people, I think, said... Um, you sound a lot like stereo lab like i can hear the stereo lab right. influence and i was like oh okay and i hadn't listened to stereo lab much which to my fault like i should have been listening to stereo lab for sure they're so sick yeah um, amazing. yeah but that wasn't where i was coming from um and but i like them yeah, you know what it is? Yeah. It's specifically, I think, I've been listening to your music so much in the past couple months. It's the, there's a, a sort of husky tone of your voice that she, Leticia, she has that kind of, it's almost like a way that I think she pushes out air in her voice that's like mm. breathy that you get in a lot of your, it's like kind of the sound of your voice too, I think. And then cool. there's bass lines that kind of like that Roy Ayer style bass line stuff slightly funky I'm not I don't want totally. to too much but totally I, and, I can and analyze per- super percussive yes definitely yeah. and yeah. even like yeah the bass lines are percussive like that Dots and Loops record actually the one after it too the Cobra phases or whatever but you know when they collaborated with uh, John McIntyre and a lot of Chicago guys so it got really cool kind of percussive and you know there's marimba and all that stuff in there I think it has that and it drives you know Mm. It has that driving, like, pulsing feel to it that, you know, it's good stuff. Totally. 
when you were growing up, did you feel like music is just what you're going to do? And I mean, it's always really helpful to have someone, you know, before you who's like, yeah, you can do this, you know, because not a lot of people's parents are artists or musicians. And I think that's a real green light, whereas a lot of other people, you know, their parents are like, "Eh, you, you know, you need a real job. Yes, I think it definitely can be that way. But my um, dad was was always uh, hesitant to encourage me becoming a, a professional mu- musician or attempting it because mm-hmm. his struggle with it was so hard. Um, right. He raised like three girls basically on his own, two girls for sure on his own. Um, as a professional musician in the 70s and 80s and um, 90s and 2000s and it's, it was just a, like a rough road so um, he wasn't he wasn't discouraging but he would always real talk with me about how hard of a gig it is and how um, you can work your ass off and you might not catch a break, um, yeah. but just be kind and work as hard as you can and play with as many people as you possibly can, um, and maybe it'll happen, you know? Right. Um, so he kept it real. But was he yeah. of the church of, is, but you'll be doing something that's great and that you'll love, so even if you're not, you know, driving the Bentley you're going to feel pretty good about what you're doing at least. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. Or was it, was it so cautious in a sense of like, it, listen, it was really cautious easy. for him, honestly. Cause I have a sister with, um, uh, disabilities and mm-hmm. he, at, at a certain point he couldn't afford medicine for her and, um, was, at a fork in the road and had to decide whether he could still tour and support his family and then shifted to more production-based work but always missed playing um, as a live percussionist, I think, and then he he brought that back into his life. But, um, yeah. Not easy. Yeah. It, but I did feel very supported in becoming a musician and putting my focus and energy into that for sure for sure yeah did you always feel you know that you were going to do it and devote yourself to that or did it become at a certain point like after high school what were you thinking I really wanted to do it I definitely like really wanted to do it did Um, you study music at all just through my my dad and his friends growing up and then I guess I took one I took one class with um CK Ledzopo in Ledzepo in um in college and that that was the only kind of like actually schooled course I took in in music and it was African drumming at UC Berkeley and um it was super fun but that was my only that was my only um academic I guess course of of studying music 
But did you take any art classes in college? Or was it too intimidating? No. The whole no, no. In in college, I studied um, water water resource conflict. I I had I majored in peace and conflict studies from UC Berkeley, and then my emphasis was um, human rights and water resource conflict. So I looked at uh, the water crisis in California throughout the yeah. decades. Um, and then, That's so interesting. So how did that, like if you thought, oh, I want to be a musician, or like you had this drive to do that. Yeah. But then you go and study this very specific, targeted kind of social, you know, social activism, you know, and how did that, what was your plan with that? Or did you just want to study a bit out of interest of it? <laughs> yeah. No plan. No plan. Um no plan, but I definitely felt a purpose in that, and yeah. um, an endless, um, an endless fascination, um, and I felt like there would always be a role that I could play in trying to solve um, environmental uh, issues or be of support in environmental justice. Right. Um, which is still true. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was definitely my interest and passion in academia. Um, now, is that still bubbling under the surface? Are you able to tap into that at all? Or right now, is it just kind of like you're focusing on music and if the right opportunity to incorporate that into something comes up? I would but, love to. I would yeah. love to. It isn't so much... Um, for me right now uh, because I think a lot of it for me was activism like I, I worked in nonprofits and I um, in co- like throughout college and after and then also worked a bar gig and then all the while was you know playing gigs at clubs and restaurants and brunches and whatever trying to like get on the road and like get into a band that could pay me like pay aux percussionist as it's called sometimes um but yeah so it's i don't know it's it it would be it would be interesting for me to take a or like important for me to take a deeper look at that but i don't really know how to answer that totally well do you feel like, I just thought of this, do you have, because you grew up in an environment, in a sort of musical environment, and it sounds like your father was, you know, was, he was a session guy too, right? Like mm-hmm. he, it was basically like, it was like the nuts and bolts or like the job aspect of it was very, very much there. Like he was mm-hmm. getting gigs and, you know, a family to support. You kind of grew up with that consciousness around you, even when he's telling you, you know, it's not easy and giving you tips on like working with as many people and stuff how does that resonate with like uh, i would imagine some of the other people that you play with and collaborate with were just like people growing up who was like yeah like play guitar and then they started a band and it just happened to go well and they're doing well with it but but maybe don't have that relationship to music didn't grow up in that environment do you feel like you have almost like a different set of information or like background oh for sure for sure yeah and i talked to some friends about that um especially doug who's who's half of the brigine band um because um i had been 
intimidated by different types of learning, right? Like through art and artistic, a visual art practice and musical. I was like, oh, well, I don't read music and I don't know what that means. And he's like, yeah, you have really great time. You understand where the form is going. You can express yourself in ways that like you can't teach. And that that was really influential in um, f- feeling empowered in, in my right. own education through a, like a, a kind of like a, a folk upbringing in music and art. Um, so yeah, so I, I definitely value the way that I learned music and, and um, but I was going to say, you were talking about my dad being a, a session musician and, and the nuts and bolts of it. Man, I heard so many amazing things like that I've been thinking about a lot in quarantine and like reflecting upon from the old guy stories that I heard like over and over and over again when I was growing up. But yeah. they used to like the musicians union used to have they used to pay people, pay musicians weekly to go out in a flatbed truck and play for different neighborhoods. That's crazy. Like, uh, it, and in cities across the U.S. And oh, if you talk to anybody, like a jazz musician in their 70s or something, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. of course, yeah, that was a thing. And I was like, man, wouldn't that be amazing now? People just, like, ride through on flatbed trucks playing to the community. And getting and paid to do it from the union as musicians or as artists or whatever it is. Yeah, that uh, to me that feels like a. I could imagine that happening in kind of like post ragtime swing or big band. I can't imagine that as like like bebop or you know like post bop guys doing that like rolling into a town in Georgia and just playing some you know Wayne Shorter or something. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I know. I've heard of Philly, New York, LA for sure. Yeah. From from people. But it's such an interesting idea, you know. But yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine I mean there was definitely more of an infrastructure in our country for creative activities across the board, you know. Like the NEA used to really exist and work. Now it's kind of like a shadow of <laughs> an right. organization to fund arts, you know. So I think it's it's almost th- this explosion of ability for people to get their stuff out there, whether through the internet, you know, like everyone mm-hmm. can have a voice, but then it's all kind of watered down in a way to where, you know, like look at something like Spotify or like online music stuff, like you could find anything anywhere, but now it's so hard for musicians to get paid really or to sustain, mm-hmm. sustain themselves off of that, you know, unless mm-hmm. you're, you know, one of a very small percentage of people who's making you know tons of money off you know like super pop stuff that's being played a gazillion times you know is that is that something that's well now it must be tough too because no one's really touring right no one's playing out live so how does that affect the psyche of of musicians or is everyone just hunkering down and like making music is it like are we gonna get like six months from now like amazing records of everyone who's just like stuck inside working you know Hopefully. Yeah, right? Hopefully people can weather the storm. It's like restaurants, you know? It's it's so hard. Because it's really a service 
social community activities. So. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you must know a lot about this, just talking with so many different artists and what keeps you motivated and moving through hard hardships and being separated from community. Um, yeah. It's like, how do you feel fueled? Call your besties face give a random facetime share playlists um listen to podcasts that drop a bunch of knowledge and then you have your whole list and then you can just like you know go deep dive into wikipedia or whatever right yeah i don't know but the the thing about i mean you know this from working on both sides of the the fence on this like with art i think the reason why something like a quarantine I mean, outside of the logistics of, you know, making money or like making it meet or whatever, but the idea of being inside, I mean, kind of like when you make art, you're in the studio by yourself most of the time anyway. It's almost like a hermetic activity. And then the social aspect of it is so limited in a way. I mean, you engage by like seeing your friends and doing studio visits, but really a lot of it is you have an opening once or twice a year and, you know, it's it's not quite so... Uh, social in the sense of like in a musician it's as a musician you're playing and that energy of like the crowd when you go on tour like yeah you write the records and you have your you know your gestation period but then it's like that that communication with the live music is such an energy and a fuel that when that's cut off I would imagine it's much more impactful for musicians than artists because you know we kind of like a quarantine works like I made a lot of work during the quarantine at home you know, and I was stuck in my apartment. I wasn't even going to the studio, but I, was, I took the opportunity to make, like, all this work on paper that I hadn't had time to do and working on animations, when, which I can do anywhere on my laptop. So, you know, kind of in collaborating and, you know, doing podcasts online, it kind of worked in a way to where it, it didn't really slow me down. I mean, you know, there's sort of emotional hit of it, of course, but then sometimes that can, you know, trigger you to make work out of that you know whether it's struggle or happiness or whatever but with music i think it's different like the the functioning aspect of playing music to people is really at the core of it i think still if you're a live musician and that's tough because that's just been you know hit paused you know like on the whole thing mm-hmm. have you been writing more as a result of it or are you just taking a break um i've been writing a bit um I I dove into the like visual art for a bit mm-hmm. and then um have just been seeing family like saw my folks and then um yeah I but I do I really I I relate to what you're saying because I miss community so much I miss um hugs and seeing people and being out at the club and like going to see a great band and like you can't make like nothing fills that um so uh i think with making music a lot of that is like a, a pivot of how to nourish um i'll speak for myself just like my own um wellness and like yeah. what what feeds me and how um so much of 
community and playing live shows and being in public spaces definitely um, enriches me. And I miss yeah. that. And, and a lot of that, the place that that enriches is where I make music from. Um, so I started working on some stuff and it was like a lot more somber. <laughs> and I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like totally feeling it. That's cool. Like this is a different place. Um, I don't know if I'll, I'll put it out or how it will grow. Um, but I really, I like it too. And I, and I like, I respect it too. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, the different side of, of, um, of growth and reflection and yeah. Yeah. And it feels real though. I mean, you could just say, well, my brand is like upbeat, like, you know, positivity <laughs> or whatever, but I'm feeling down, but I'll just fake it till I, you know, <laughs> right. I guess there's, there's people who, there's both sides of the coin, people who say, well, in times of, cause you know, I knew a lot of artists, I know a lot of artists that during, you know, what is a really tumultuous time and they're painting flowers and they, you, they might get a feeling of like, well, you know, stuff's really serious right now and it feels odd to be, you know, showing this work. But then it's like sometimes you need to escape from all that heaviness and that totally. darkness, you know what I mean? So I think you just have to do what you feel at the moment and that's real, you know? Yeah. Because whether yeah. you hide it or and not put it out and say, well, that was my dark period there for, for totally. a couple months. You know, but but getting it out is important, I think. Yeah. And it can be such a mental trip to put yourself in this, um, in the confines of one body of work. Or like, it's a flower. So what is the flower? Is it, you know, like, you can get so wrapped up into what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? Am I wasting my damn time? Yeah. Like, how can I be of service? You know, what is this? What is this all for? And sometimes you just want to paint a flower, and that's okay, and that feels good. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it might totally. make somebody else feel good. And then, you know, yeah, it's just it's a trip, right? It is, and you know, and thinking about this this area of study that I had no idea that you did in college. You could have devoted your whole life to fighting that fight of, you know, of those environmental issues and felt like, okay, well, this is something that's more, you know, impactful or lasting or, you know, or this is like a social issue that needs to be addressed. But then I wouldn't have had these months of like listening to your music nonstop and giving me all that joy. So like selfishly, <laughs> you know what I mean, though? It's funny because you, if, I feel like if you, if you put your heart into whatever you're doing, whatever that expression or whatever it is, if you really, you know, are, feel it, like hopefully like that's going to put some sort of positive energy in the world that will, will sort of grow. You know what I mean? No, regardless of the container that it's in or the, the method that it gets out there. It's ideally, I mean, it's pretty idealistic, but ideally that, that positivity goes out and people feel it and it, it kind of like makes, you know, it's there's either like positive ions going out or negative ions, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what, what shape or what sound it's in, but hopefully it, it makes the world a better place. 
That yeah. got really big in, in scope really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. And I'm like painting like sunsets and stuff, you know? <laughs> like, so I guess I got to live that. I got to talk that talk right now. I went through the period of like, you know, painting unrest and protests and all that. And, and you know, I, I think you kind of just have to go where you, your desire is. And, and it, totally. it's going to be from the heart, you know? Yeah. I do yeah. miss that that feeling of just going back to that feeling of playing out because I haven't played live music in a long time and there was nothing like that feeling and I was like in a band we played to like you know small clubs to like not too too many people and you're out there playing like giant shows you know what I mean so that must really feel good <laughs> yeah it feels awesome so it is like playing a tiny bar gig and you're with like, for me, like when I'm playing with a great drummer, there's yeah. like nothing like it. I love it so much. And I like, I love um, BSing. I'm trying to edit. Yeah. <laughs> like just being out at a club and seeing so many different people and like, Oh man, I miss it. Just like everybody's on the grind trying to like survive in a city, you know, just like making rent and making their art. And Oakland for me was such a um, special place because I got to know so many artists and was so inspired by so many artists. And, and yeah, I, I miss that too. But anyway, the small venues I also miss. I miss. I miss so much a different intimacy for sure but um yeah I miss playing I uh got dolled up to to do a little video for um my friend Cecilia we collaborated in in quarantine she's a great guitarist um played with Beck for a, a while and has her own um project called gothic tropic and so i sat in on percussion with her but anyway i got i got dressed up and i was like man i don't feel like i'm gonna go to a show or something but there's nothing happening <laughs> there's no show. you know like i'm walking down the hallway feeling myself but nothing you know nothing was gonna happen but that's a that's a fun that's a you know get it where you can when when we're all in in lockdown doll yourself up give yourself a spin or something right you know yeah yeah you feed that you gotta water that plant once in a while for sure right for sure did you have like a, a favorite venue of playing music that you just love oof um probably tough to single one out but it's tough to single one out but i would say um another bay area treat was outside lands it's a um, outdoor music festival in golden gate park oh nice and um they have a festival every summer and i don't know how many thousand i think it's like thirty thousand forty thousand plus i don't know something like that um but it's a huge festival in summer in san francisco which summer means nothing so it's like kind of it's warm during the day and then it's freezing and then there are just like so many people out and there's this like nice fog that happens and everybody's you know just like wonderful I got to play twice 
two years back to back, once with Poolside and once with Toro, and both were on the same stage at sunset. And it was just like so beautiful. And my dad, when I was growing up, he told me, he's like, I hope that you have this feeling, but he's like, one time I was playing, um, oh shoot, this is when I get like so, so, um, such a daughter when I forget all of the facts. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool story, dad. Uh, uh, he was playing in LA anyway. He was playing in LA in the 70s with some of my like honorary uncles and they had this jazz fusion band. My uncle Vince was from Trinidad. He was a steel drum player. Um, uncle Larry on saxophone, George on keys, Fundi was in the audience, just like the whole crew who like raised me, which is so significant to my heart. And um, they were playing this gig and he says, people were like busting down the fence to get in and it was just packed and the vibes were just so good. And he remembers looking out and just being so overwhelmed with how present he became in that moment like it almost slowed down and I've had that a couple times playing and it's like the best feeling it's like it's like the perfect the like the perfect combination of just like amazement and gratitude and like connection um with the people who are playing with the people who are working it with the people in the audience dancing and supplying all that energy it's like so special and one time my okay i'll say my favorite venue for sure was the hollywood bowl like so special because i grew up in la and um, my parents couldn't make it for the show because uh, my mom was sick, and it and my and I had always heard this story of my dad be, playing the Hollywood Bowl, and that was like the top of his outside of playing with Tito Puente, who was like his hero. He was like that was the moment, and his dad, who I never got to to meet, was in the audience and and came to the show, wow, and. Cool. Um, and so anyway, I played and my, I, my cousin came and she was like, hey, like, I know like you're on the grind and you're playing these shows and you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. But just like, in like, take a moment, like, enjoy it. This is a special moment. And I'm so glad she said that to me because I, I like looked up during the show and just like, it was, it was like total euphoria. It was so yeah, special. It must have been extremely emotional too because you're coming full circle or it's like a kind of, you know, closing that circle in a way. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible. God, you dad played with Tito Puente? Yeah. Yeah. Really top, can you top that? I don't, I don't, He's I, I wouldn't say you could. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I so I guess, I guess, I mean, you're sponsored by Latin Percussion. You have to be into Latin. I mean, that's, did you just yes, always yes. you grew up with those rhythms I mean was it like yeah. salsa was it you know are you into all of it like merengue and bachata and the whole bit I'm in I'm into all of it I'm into all of it for sure um it's so deep it's it really it's is. endless it's endless 
um, the deeper you go, it's the cooler it is. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I'd say... I'd say I definitely grew up playing uh, as an American percussionist because right. a lot of the rhythms that I learned were um, not traditional. They were like my dad grew up in Watts in California or LA. Yeah. Um, and he learned from some mentors in Watts and then ended up learning more from people at sessions when he would like um, assist with engineering at A&M Records and um, uh, he learned like the Motown beat from Miss Bobby Hall who's a dope percussionist from um, Motown on a million records um, but that like um, what is it Marvin Gaye um Inner city blues that it's like I I learned that kind of stuff without um, no shade on my father without like um, technique yeah you know so my dad and I actually got to go to um, Cuba with some family friends um, who were based there. Uh, a couple years ago and it was um, me my cousin and my dad and it was insane it was insane and my dad was just he's a party party guy super fun um, but it was like it was like okay okay we're gonna go play with these guys and I was like dude we are not gonna play with those guys you're going to Cuba and you're a percussion just sit down just listen to them play and take a chill like let's just see let's see the situation let's learn a little he's like no we're gonna play and I was like okay okay and Man, then we we had like one lesson with this dude Moncho, who's amazing, and um, my dad looked at me like really like sober later, and he was like, "Do you think we're ever gonna be that good?" And I was like, "No, dude, no, there's no way we're ever gonna be that good." But you know, you gotta work with what you got. And practice and study. You bring a different element to it, right? It's like I play soccer. I still, I love soccer. And, you know, I I coach with Argentinians and I'm never going to be that good. Like, it's just, (laughs) it's in the blood. You know what I mean? It's from day one, you know? And so it's difficult to compete with that. (laughs) So you just try to do your own stuff. Or impossible. For sure. it's it's yeah. like Asian fusion cooking when you're not from, <laughs> you know, Japan or Korea. Like you just try to like blend it, and hopefully it comes, you know, it becomes interesting in your own way. You know. Yeah. Well, trying it, trying it. So percussion is like okay. So do you? I'm just gonna throw out a couple things. This is probably so not interesting to you. Um, a, th- a couple <laughs> in, uh, things that I love percussion was like. Are you are you into the Herbie Hancock like thrust and sextant and like those records? Not so much. This is yeah. I don't know that. Um, I don't know. That. I don't even know the name of the drum. I forget his name. The name of the drummer on Thrust, but I think it's one of my favorite. And you know, you know, uh, Headhunters and stuff like that. That was of like course, right before yeah. Headhunters. Yeah. And um, have you? Do you listen to a lot of percussion from like? 
like different parts of the world, like Zakir Hussein, people like that. Yeah, like tabla stuff. Totally, totally. That long form stuff is so. Oh good, man, isn't it? it's so good, and YouTube bless it because there are so many like random old footage club footage videos of all these amazing percussionists and bands from back in the day um but yeah but herbie i listened to some of herbie's uh, or a lot of herbie's stuff growing up but it was kind of i didn't understand the weight of it and i still haven't um gone gone back to it much of course like watermelon man you know like on repeat um but my uncle fundi who i lived with for i think six years growing up Mm -hmm. was herbie's um first uh sound engineer with m wadishi and so he went out for years with herbie um and that was a big part of his influence and they recorded at the house in like my basement in LA growing up um and so I'd say I don't I definitely don't know a lot of that specifically from the album but I I have been exposed to to some of those rhythms and some of the stories and yeah, it's good stuff. My son got me for Father's Day the uh, his autobiography, and it's it's so good. Cool, Herbie's because it's yeah. such a life, you know, like what a life. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating, and he's one of those artists who's not afraid to like just keep changing, and you know, totally. kind of like Miles, where he just kept developing new stuff and like bringing in his collaborations, like you know, like in using electronics. He was like way ahead of his time doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Fundi was always saying how he was like one of the first sound sound people on a gig. Cause yeah. like I guess he didn't run sound like like they did until Herbie's band, you know, right. like to yeah. to put delay or reverb or echo or like affect the sound of a live performance didn't wasn't happening like it was with Herbie's Herbie's group. Yeah. Yeah. How, so yeah, it's such a, a really kind of cool way to to be introduced to all this stuff through like. I mean, for me, like when I was in college, I was a jazz DJ and that kind of opened me up to that. And then through that, I started to learn about, you know, deeper, you know, tangential kinds of music. Like I remember when I first started listening to dub and I didn't know what it was, you know, I was like, it's kind of reggae, but I loved it. And it sounds so, you know, because there was elements of like echo and electronic, the beginnings of electronics in it, you know. But um, it seems like you kind of like found this stuff through playing, which is a really cool way to sort of encounter different musical styles, you know? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I I listened a lot um, to what was going on around me and like what was like spoon fed me, fed to me, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. You know? Unconscious. Yeah, yeah, and I wish I had better memory and recollection of like all details and like studied harder and played harder and all that other stuff. I don't. I think it's it's great when it's just kind of like 
you know, an Argentinian who plays really good at soccer would never say like, I wish I had studied formations more or what, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> yeah. like, it's a beautiful game. It's just like, it yeah. just comes out, you know, it's like, it's ingrained into you maybe. Yeah. Speaking of studying more though, um, <laughs> did you, <laughs> in that, um, in that doc or biography, did you, did they talk about how they would record every show and listen back? I don't remember to the shows. Okay, Sadly, well, I, I heard remember. this. I I heard this story that they would play the gig and then they go back to wherever they were going, where that wherever they were sleeping for the night, and then they'd listen to these tapes of 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 their show. You know, almost to study. Well, definitely partially to study. But I remember Fundi was telling me this one time. He was like, it was the deepest moment. We just, the show was um, like transcendent. And they went back to this apartment in Philly and listened to the tapes. And um, one of the guys listening was just kind of like holding his knees up to his chest, sitting on the floor and just rocking back and forth, listening to the album and fell into a trance and just like fell right over. And I thought it, he he was shook by it just like you know 60 whatever uh, yeah 60 years later i talked to him um yeah anyway 60 years later and i thought that was so deep and like to listen to study and then find something deeper than you knew is really special um and to have that um separation or kindness or like tenderness to be able to listen to something you create without um so much critique or or like closeness to it is also really special and and um something i'm holding close to um yeah i just thought that was so cool yeah that's kind of advantage music i think uh over art i talk about that a lot where i feel like music just there's something about it where it gets inside of you you know it's it's not as coded as artwork is artwork relies mm. a lot on visual cues and it's like this really beautiful investigation of like our world through these associated images of the past what's been made before it and that dialogue with what you're looking at today in the world but music mm. is just kind of like you go and then the sound waves go inside of you and you can really feel it in a different way you know and I can imagine like listening back to music, you know, well, I've done it where you listen back to music that you play or sometimes if you're good at doing it live where you could just kind of get lost in that song, you know, and it kind of zone out there for a little while. And I think sometimes for me, like I, I've, I've done a little meditation and, you know, but I feel like that kind of meditative quality takes me to like this other place, you know, of kind of like. I don't know if it's a relaxation or if it's kind of like de-stressing or I don't know. It's something really nice. It's kind of like the same thing when I'm working on a painting and it's like hour number eight in the studio and you just like, you know, almost black out. You're just like working and you don't, you're not stressed about the world. And it's just kind mm -hmm. of, you know, it hits like, there's like this word in Japanese, shiawase, which is like this like kind of like heavenly feeling of like, I don't know hard to describe but i feel like that's what that moment is you know mm. and then you always want to chase and get that moment i feel like once you <laughs> once you get there yeah 
and finding the um, expression to do that is so special. Like if you have um, an art form or an athleticism or um, you care for something or someone in in a really deep way that lets you be in that space, that's like, yeah, that's what it's about. Right. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about so the music that you've created. Like, I imagine you've been you've been playing music for a really long time, and now, like, when did it become like you know your namesake and like recording and how did that? I don't know if it was decision or when was the right time to start you know recording and releasing this stuff of your own. Yeah. Um. Well, it's a romantic tale. Um, I was touring a lot with a a lot of different people and bands. And I've been in a relationship with Doug um, for six years. Doug Stewart, who's the half of the band, Mm -hmm. for six years. And we found ourselves on like really intense grinds apart from each other so it had been maybe three years of finally moving in together like living in the same space but only spending less than half the year together because I was on tour a lot he was on tour in the beginning with different groups so we're like why don't we just like make a project together and I have this idea and I'd like to put my voice to something can we create something together? And it was like, ooh, I don't know. I've been in bands with my exes. It didn't work out. I was just going to say, (laughs) that's like the the two stand-up comedians like going on tour together and you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah, failure. But it ended up working out really well. And we have um, really awesome communication and we're super (laughs) work-driven. Like, love working, working on projects and um so that's that's honestly like a lot of it um and I think another part of it was just being a percussionist for a while with different bands and going out for other people's projects on the road and being very happy to like dedicate my life and time to it and then um honestly just like not being able to rely upon it because you can just play a backing track and you know congas are there (laughs) and like budgets are so strained and i'm in the indie world and it's like it's just how it goes you know so i was like oh shit okay well i need to like make i gotta do my own thing i gotta try at least and and i'd love to see what that feels like to get past my own blocks and express myself in in whatever way that comes out and it and it happened pretty quickly and it felt good and then we got some support and um yeah so that's that but but here's the thing so you're playing you're doing a lot of percussion in different bands and different projects were you doing some singing and other things too no this was my first project singing but you so you were just holding that voice like in your back pocket the whole time yeah. it's not like you don't have a really good voice <laughs> Thank so why you. did that <laughs> um How? i was just shy 
I, I think I was shy. I think I came into bands being a percussionist and had played a lot with, um, well, I'd say my college, well, shoot, I shouldn't say that either. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think, um, I think it just got to the perfect point where I said, okay, you know, I believe in myself. Why not try it out? So what if it's whack? Let's go. Yeah. So you just hit a point where you're like, I'm just going to do this. I want to. Yeah. And has the, so you were a little, not hesitant, but maybe, okay, you, you know, it wasn't like I'm putting my stuff out there from day one. So you got to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to put this out. How was the response? I mean, did you feel like you got a pretty good response to things? And was it what you were expecting? Um, yeah, I, I feel like we got a really good response. And I'm so thankful that I did it because it was scary. <laughs> and, um, and then so many friends and close friends who I've spent so much time with who never knew that side of me were so supportive and um, especially people like you know in Poolside and Toro and all these people who I've been out with I'm in Poolside more recently but for years you know and they were like boo boo why didn't you do this before and I was like well I don't know I was scared or you know like (laughs) whatever it was um but to feel that support and see that grow has been really special and like my besties were always like you know yes you like you always should have been um and I get that now because it's so it's so um I don't know the word. It's just really special for, you know, for, you know, it's so, it's so complicated, but it's, 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 it's really special to be able to put my voice to, to an artistic and especially musical practice where I feel like I can express myself and that I'm saying what I mean. And I'm not um, just a part of that as as a percussionist supporting and backing up someone else's um sentence right yeah totally yeah what was uh what was the first record the toro imov record that you were on i did it's been a while well i worked with yeah i worked with chaz on listen stuff which is his um kind of like Oh, shoot. I don't know how it's tagged, but like a DJ house influence um, moniker. Like his other project is Listen. So I worked on that um, probably in 2015, I think. Yeah. Um, And then we the first gig I had with Toro officially was the Live from Trona Mm -hmm. album. And we went out into the desert in California and filmed a, a whole concert um, that was like 360 and a very um, like beautiful film, short film. Um, yeah. But were you, so were you on Boo Boo? 
Uh, I was not on Boo Boo, but I was okay. on the one before that. Because that one, that one was a little. I mean, it had a like, different vibe to it. For sure. Yeah, that was teaching yeah. for six weeks in Japan when that record came out, and it was like the soundtrack to that experience, which was oddly the perfect record for being there in that time. You know, it's cool. really nice. But that Le Sins record is so good, and and that's the 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 issue with coming up with a side project that's really good and probably just as good as the main thing is like you want more of that to come out <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know i love I mean? it i hope he does i hope he does i went to see him do that in art basel miami beach because i had a video playing cool. at art film so i went down with my brother and uh we went to see him play at this little place and I think he started at, it must have been like two o'clock in the morning or so. It was so late and I'm so old. That we were just pounding Red Bulls waiting for him to play, but it was so great <laughs> to see, you know, the energy was so good. Oh, that's awesome. He's a great DJ. Oh man, have I had some dances to his DJ sets. I can imagine. So fun. Just spin and spin and your abs are sore in the morning because you're trying out all these weird moves. Oh yeah, it's a good workout. <laughs> I'm like pretty much a solo dance kind of gal on the yeah. dance floor. If there's enough space, I will just like go for it for nice. for a couple hours. Just gotta clear yeah. out your social distance six feet, and then you're ready oh, to man. go. Or yeah, or just like hunker down and find that like you know your own oh, yeah. zone. <laughs> but yeah, great DJ. Oh, How day. is that? How is that trip for you? It was great. It was really nice. I mean, it's the. I mean, have you gone to Art Basel, Miami? I haven't. I haven't. And, you know, it's a thing. Like it's. Yes. It's a party. But we, you know, my family, we went down together, and we stay really far down south, like a little outside the craziness. And um, but it's so fun, and like the cool thing about art film is when you have an animation or a video in it. They project it on that Frank Gehry building, like huge. So it's so kind of cool, cool to see. Usually you, see, you could see your video projected slightly big, but this is like monstrous, which is really fun. It's always cool to see work in a weird environment, you know? Just like I'm sure playing a gig where you're outside, like Red Rocks or something. It's just, yeah. it's just different than a small club, you know? Yeah. And like each has their own advantage, but it's just really cool to see it in a different environment, so... That was really fun because I got to see that. And then, you know, I would take my son to the beach in the morning and watch the sun come up, you know, and then we'd go, you know, go late at night to go see music. It was kind of, it was a good time. Ah, oh, the things we used to do before this whole thing. <laughs> I know. Hold them it's, close. Hold those temporary, memories right? tight. Yeah. I, feel, I feel maybe normalcy coming, hopefully in November. We shall see. <laughs> we can dream. So, and you just released. When did Moody come out? Um, I think like a month and a half ago. And so, in the first EP, was a record EP that was released. How did was that released? Yeah, they call it. They call it a mini album. Okay. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> um, that was released via Native Cat Records, which mm -hmm. is now um, no longer, but it was a really 
um, special time to to go out with the label um, when it was happening. Uh, and then Ghost, we signed with Ghostly yeah. um, International recently, and they re-released it and put out Moody. Which is pretty great. And Ghostly's great. Yeah, so, Ghostly's awesome. Sam, good guy. Yeah, yeah. so sweet. Yeah. And such a great aesthetic and really diverse. And, and I've, you know, I've worked with Logan Takahashi doing visuals for his live shows and stuff. And he's, I just love his stuff too. So that's a, I've been a fan of that label for a while. Cool. So that's a great fit. So are you working on new, well, you were working on some stuff that you said you may or may not release, but are you, are you thinking yeah. next? Do you have like, is it like a, sh- a show where you have a date for it already? Or is it something that you just work towards and that you figure that out once you have enough? Yeah, no dates yet, but um, definitely have been collaborating a lot and working on music um, for Brigine, Um And yeah, definitely more to come soon. Nice. So, well, thank you so much. This was so yeah. much fun. I think it was probably way more fun for me than it was for you. But I've been, no, I've been super it was super excited fun for me. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I've been enjoying your podcast. Thank it's you. been yeah, just so nice to hear artist to artist talks and what a special thing that is. That's like something I miss so much about just being in the back in the wild you know yeah all right well thanks again thank you nice to talk with you and meet you